One of the things that they'll bring up and one of the topics of conversation are usually their, their protests against God is either, either one of two things. One is, well, I don't believe in God because I believe in science, and that's kind of easy to dismiss. Um, but the second one usually cuts a little bit harder into the issue of God and God's presence and God's love. And that objection is, I don't believe in God because how could a loving, kind, and merciful God allow all of these tragedies to happen? How can he allow earthquakes in Haiti? How can he allow genocide in Germany? How can he allow you know, tortures and persecutions and people getting hacked to death in machetes in Nigeria? How can he allow these terrible, awful tragedies such as the Holocaust, 9-11, or the Great World Wars? In other words, how do you reconcile a loving God with the problem of evil? And that problem of evil usually, if you, you know, usually has such a deep impact on people's hearts and people's lives, especially personally, that it can actually lead them to abandon their faith. And it's a real issue, and it can happen to us just as well. Personally, how often do we question or dismiss God because we are dealing with some kind of tragedy? Because we are dealing with some kind of personal issue, some kind of problem that ultimately makes us kind of ignore God's loving presence. Ultimately asking that question, why, God? Why am I going through this? Why is this happening? Why me? Why now? And I think to that answer, and to that, that protest, there's a beautiful passage, and that, that this beautiful verse is right here in the first reading. What does Isaiah said, say? He says on behalf of God, he says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways, says the Lord, your ways. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so high are my ways above your ways, and my thoughts above your thoughts. In other words, what Isaiah is essentially pointing out is that while we might not comprehend what is going on, it doesn't mean that there's not a plan. It doesn't mean that there isn't something else going on. It doesn't mean that God is not still watching. But that still kind of leaves that question, what about the problem of evil? Why doesn't God do something about this? And I think there's three options God has in light of the problem of evil. Three options that any of us, really, quite honestly, have dealing with evil, dealing with wrong. The first option, whenever we're faced with evil, whenever we're faced with something, or whenever God is faced with something that is fundamentally wrong, is the option to be a tyrant, an option to be kind of a dictator, somebody who ultimately comes in and punishes brutally and finally the evildoer, somebody who, who ultimately stops them right there in their tracks, who wipes them out. This is what God did, honestly, at the flood. Mankind was so corrupt, irredeemable, that he ultimately wiped them out. But what happened after that? God decided ultimately that this is not merciful, 
that he would never, ever do this again, no matter how evil mankind got. And so what did he do? What did he create? He gave us the beauty of the rainbow. The rainbow is not a symbol of the division that it is now. The rainbow fundamentally is a covenant reminding us that God is faithful to his people. That God has sworn an oath to us that he will not wipe us out no matter what. That he will actually be, take a different tone. So that's the first option is to become a tyrant and ultimately to basically commit, if you will, kind of this, this genocidal vision and kind of wipe mankind out, which at times maybe we've felt this way. I mean, how many people have you heard complaining, oh, there's too many people in this world? That's essentially what they're saying. But what's the other option? The other option is one that, that's very actually kind of popular in today's day and age. It's the option of, well, just erase the problems. Just make sure that these consequences, that ultimately that these consequences that come about because people do wrong, don't affect other people. Ultimately, hit the reset button whenever something else goes wrong. In other words, prevent bad things from happening. And we see this happen all the time. We've seen parents ultimately shelter their children and ultimately wipe away mistakes that they make and ultimately pretend and kind of soften them and pretend like their mistakes didn't happen. Ultimately not allowing their teachers to give them bad grades. Not allowing them to, to experience the heat of fire. Not allowing them to actually you know, run around and stub their toe. And what ultimately happens is what, what, would create, what is created by this lack of discipline is what? You create children that actually end up being monsters. Children who actually end up longing and, and just desiring to be in control, to be the one in charge, to be the one that ultimately stands over you and even over the parents. You find situations in which the children are actually parents to the parents whenever ultimately we kind of adopt this soft attitude. Case in point, the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden, what does God do? He gives mankind everything. He gives them dom the domain. He gives them... He gives them this beautiful area, this beautiful land. He feeds them with everything they could ever ask for. He essentially, kind of, if you will, not, not technically, but he kind of spoils them. Gives them everything they could ever ask for. There's just one thing, one thing that you ultimately need, not need to do. It's just don't eat of this one fruit. And what happens? Adam and Eve start to take their responsibilities lightly. They start to think that they're invincible. And what ultimately happens? They disobey the one rule they were given, the one, the one kind of boundary that they had. And then what happened? They fell. So that's the other option, is God could just hit the reset button every time we do something wrong, and God could essentially shelter us. But what would that do to us? Essentially, it would just make us kind of these spoiled brats that ultimately are not grateful for anything and are entitled to everything. So finally, there's one last option. And it's the option that, to me, best explains the problem of evil. And that is God allowing us to experience the consequence of our actions. In other words, God allowing us to feel the pain of what it means to ultimately sin against somebody. To feel the pain of what it ultimately means to sin against Him. 
to feel the pain of ultimately what it means to disobey. Allowing us and permitting evil to run its course. You see, God doesn't will evil. God is not in, in, in heaven you know, just throwing lightning bolts down into the, into the world, kind of like what you know, we imagine the Greek god Zeus did. That's not God. What God does is he allows evil to happen. He allows issues to come about. It's not that he's will, actively willing this to happen, but he's permitting it. We can see this in the book of Job. In the book of Job, he goes through hardship after hardship after hardship, but ultimately it wasn't God committing the hardship. It was God allowing Satan to bring this hardship onto Job. And it's the same thing with us. God will allow evil to affect us. God will allow evil to affect the world. Why? Because fundamentally we have a job to learn our lessons. We are not his slaves because he is not a tyrant. We're not his brats because he is not this kind of, this, 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 this ignorant, this kind of senile grandpa in heaven. No, we are his sons and we are his daughters. Which means that he has a, a duty and obligation and he has chosen out of love and compassion to form us to be more like his sons and his daughters through suffering and through pain. But here's the beautiful aspect of it. And this is kind of where Isaiah makes a good point. My ways are not your ways. What do we want to do? Whenever, some, whenever our children or whenever somebody does something wrong, we want them to feel the consequences. We want them to feel the pain. We want them to feel the pain so they grow up. But here's the crazy part. God feels the pain with us. You see, God does not sit in the sky while evil runs its course and just be aloof to it all. God sent His Son. He became man. And what did He do? He suffered evil Himself. In other words, what God is asking us to do is nothing that He has not already done before. It's nothing that He has not already taken steps to maintain. It's nothing that He has not already taken on Himself. By becoming man... Suffering under Pontius Pilate, being crucified, died and was buried, he laid the foundation for what it means for you and I to be his sons and daughters. Which ultimately explains this whole problem of evil. Why does evil exist? So that you and I can be made into his sons. So that you and I can be made into his daughters. And so that you and I can live forever in the glory of the Father, not as slaves, not as spoiled brats, but as children.